0: Good morning, Birdland. Let's talk some Orioles. My name is Mark Brown. I'm the manager of the Orioles blog Camden Chat. And whether you've been reading my blog for years or whether you're only just discovering me as you've found this podcast, new or old, I'm glad to have you here. So let's get right down to business. It is now March the 31st, 2023. The Orioles are undefeated to begin the 2023 season. After an Honestly agonizing and unpleasantly agonizing opening day victory over the Boston Red Sox, ultimately winning by a 10-9 to score. It's it's a little bit ridiculous that the Orioles uh, made that one close. It's ridiculous that after scoring 10 runs, they still needed to bring in Felix Bautista, the closer, to close out the game. The Orioles themselves had 15 hits. They drew nine walks. Um, How you go from that to needing nine runs? Well, as my dad was texting me during the game, You never know what's going to happen in Fenway Park. That's certainly true. So I don't want to go into great detail about everything that happened in the game. You probably already know it, but let me just give an overview of some of the really fun and also some of the not-so-fun things that happened. Of course, number one, Adley Rutschman with the amazing 5-for-5 day for RBI. As the uh, stat people on Twitter were quick to share after the game had concluded, this had never before been done by a player on opening day. So that's pretty amazing. And, of course, the other stat that was a 5-for-5 or better day with multiple RBI, so just 2-plus rather than at least 4, the only two other people to have ever done that were Hall of Famers Billy Herman and Babe Ruth. So Adley Rutschman, pretty good. This is, uh, you know, if you're one of the people out there who thinks Adley's going to make a serious run at, like, MVP votes, uh, the first game looked pretty good for you. Another first impression we got was of uh, opening day starting pitcher Kyle Gibson. Just on this very podcast, I was kind of critical of him being the choice number one, the number one starting pitcher choice, on the basis of how he pitched last year. So he's got a seven point zero ERA after one game. I didn't really expect to end up doing this, but I'm kind of tempted to almost make excuses for him because the defense really ended up letting him down. I think he could have very easily gone at least six innings, possibly six shutout innings, if it wasn't for some defensive shenanigans. The particular problems that the Orioles had, well, really, it was the whole outfield. To me, every outfielder had at least one play where it seemed like they should have made a catch on a fly ball or a line drive and something happened and they just didn't time it well for whatever reason, didn't make the play. Uh, the, the defense overall, there were some really slick plays in the infield. And then there were also a couple of bad ones in critical moments that ended up making the game a lot closer than it would have been otherwise. One guy who had a really bad first impression was reliever Brian Baker. He ended up uh, the day with a 40.5 ERA, which, you know, even, even when it's a small sample size, you, uh, you really don't want to look at the, the 40.5 in the box score. And that's, uh, that's, what, that's what Brian Baker is, is rocking currently until the next time he gets to pitch, because he allowed three runs in two-thirds of an inning. Even Baker was let down by his defense. There was a play, uh, a, a line drive went out to the outfield. It went over Anthony Santander's head in left field. Some people, I think, believed that that was the point where Ryan McKenna should have already been in the game. I get why he wasn't. It was a six-run game to start that inning before Baker came in to the game. So, you know, you you don't really necessarily think, okay, I'm going to bring in the defensive replacement when it's a six-run game. But Baker, combined with Santander, ended up making it a three-run game. And then it got even closer from there because closer Felix Bautista was shaky in his first outing of the year. And at times like this last season, the Orioles, it seemed like, often would have the Bautista whisperer was uh, Rubenet Odor. For whatever reason, that was the power he seemed to have to calm down Felix Bautista. Uh, Odor, of course, is not on the team now. He he somehow made the Padres, so good luck to him uh, out there. But he, Bautista needed to settle down. He ultimately was able to get the save. Uh, he, he probably should have only had one run allowed. The defense let him down a little bit as well. That was the infield more than the outfield for Bautista. And so ultimately the Orioles are undefeated. They're 1-0. They're tied for first place in the American League East. And that, when you get down to it, is what matters. So we don't want to overreact to small sample sizes, especially when it's one game. I think in particular, we probably want to keep in mind that there were possibly fluky conditions that will not be repeated in the vast majority of 2023 baseball games. In particular, most games are not going to be as cold as it was in Boston on opening day. And also, I think that most games will not have the uh, particular sun conditions as far as what the kind of shadows they're making uh, on the field or where uh, the sun is in the sky because a 2.10 start time on March the 30th is really very different uh, from even like a one o'clock game that's going to be played in June, or especially the majority of games being night games. So maybe the outfield problems were related to you're just not used to having a northern latitude 2 p.m. sun game in late March. Baseball players, the major leaguers, that's just not the kind of game they play very often. I generally think you know, MLB players need to be able to adjust. I think if you have a good, good defensive team, you're going to be able to adjust. And of course, on this very podcast, I offered my concern that Santander's defense might end up being a liability. And there were really two crucial plays that uh, resulted in probably at least three runs scoring for the Red Sox on the opening day game that Santander featured prominently and negatively. And so you know, I, I'm still I'm still concerned about that. I hope that this is a fluke and that Santander is going to not have as many particularly bad plays. There's nothing to do but wait and see what happens. Of course, another one of my concerns was, can Felix Bautista repeat last year's success and be consistently uh, a good pitcher? Well, we certainly didn't get reassured that he was going to come out of the gate and look like exactly like the guy he did last year, did we? Um, he just, he, he was battling command, he was making pitches that were really not even competitive pitches. So he was in bad counts, he was, had bad things happen. I mean, when you get down to it, you can be I could be upset about Santander um, not making the play, but also Bautista was in bad counts and making pitches that batters could kind of sit on and be more likely to make more quality contact. The one other guy with a bad small sample size, the only Orioles player who did not get on base of the starting lineup was Austin Hayes. He took an 0 for 5. You, you know, he could easily take, get three hits in the next game and then suddenly nobody will be worried about him. But it's just, you know, after one game, that's the thing you got to have a pin in. He's the one guy who didn't really look like he had anything going at all. The other hitless player in the starting lineup was Gunnar Henderson, now rocking a fresh-looking, I think, goatee. He at least walked twice, so he had that going for him. Hayes did not get it on base at all. So that, that's my thoughts on opening day in particular. So I'd like to know what you think. You can email me at camdencastpod at gmail.com, and I will, uh, I will read some of the responses if I get any over the, uh, over the next episode, which will be on Monday. So... What uh? What are you worried about? What are you excited about? Is there anybody you're still uh kind of that you haven't seen yet that you're that you're looking forward to see? Uh, just just let me know your thoughts, and I will be happy to share some of them on this uh the next episode of the show. Now it's worth keeping in mind, the Orioles did not have the only wild opening day game. There was an eleven to seven game where the Rangers beat out uh, last year's NL champion, the Phillies that saw Rangers marquee free agent pitching signing, Jacob deGrom, get torched. He uh, he was just not good at all. And so, you know, that's funny. But the Rangers ended up winning the game anyway. Um, Cardinals and Blue Jays also played kind of a crazy game. You might have thought that was one of the better opening day matchups between uh, Alec Manoa and Miles Mikolas as the starting pitchers. Well, they both got bombed. Both of those games also had bullpen shenanigans, and ultimately the Jays were winners by the same score that the Orioles did, ten to nine. Although in the Jays' case, they scored two runs in the ninth inning to pull ahead of the Cardinals uh, as the road team, and then they held on to win by making it a scoreless bottom of the ninth. So we, uh, you know, that weird stuff happened in Major League Baseball on opening day. I think we should be prepared for. A variety of weird things happening since you know they uh, they don't even have the same rules that they had last year, it's, you know whatever you want to go you got the pitch clock who knows what impact that's going to have bigger bases we got uh, just the uh, the the disengagement rules pitchers can't throw over more it's it's really there's there's so many things oh and also the renewed enforcement supposedly on sticky stuff so. What, what is going to end up settling down and happening once the small sample sizes stop being so small? I, you know, I'm interested to see it. And of course, hopefully, these developments end up working out well for the Orioles. I will be right back after a short message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so let's get back down to talking about the opening day game. So one of the things I want to do on this podcast as the regular season goes along is I want to kind of keep track of There's a stat that's called Win Probability Added. And if you don't know what this statistic is, you can find it on most of the big baseball sites. Uh, MLB's StatCast keeps track of Win Probability Added. And you can also find this if you look on Baseball Reference as well and on Fangraphs also. So really all of the big ones. So the basic idea of Win Probability is that every every play, the the result of every at-bat or plate appearance, affects what team is more or less likely to win the game. And these can be small impacts. For instance, there were six different plays on opening day, the opening day game for the Orioles where the result of the play moved the needle 0.1%. Not very much. Uh, if So as, as the game goes along, if it's a close game, then you get bigger swings. And if you kind of have a blowout going on, then any particular play doesn't really move the needle that much. Because for instance, once you have a six run lead, the, the any particular outcome of uh, an at-bat just doesn't really affect the final result very much. So just for instance, to start the game, Cedric Mullins, he struck out. And that moved the needle 2.2% towards the Boston Red Sox. To end the game, Red Sox batter Adam Duvall was struck out by Felix Bautista, and at the time, he was batting. The Red Sox still had a 14.2% chance of winning the game. Now, this is just keeping in mind historical trends of scoring. I know your heart and certainly mine were probably feeling like the Orioles had more than a 14.2% chance to blow that last game, uh, that last batter, and somehow had some kind of crazy walk-off happen. But it was only 14.2%, and when Batista struck out Duval, that ended the game and made it a 100% chance to win for the Orioles. So, What I'm going to try and keep track of as the season goes along, and I'll try and do this even on days where I'm not recording the podcast, is who had the kind of most clutch percentage, because basically your win probability kind of measures your cumulative clutchness, so to speak, um, and keep track of who is contributing the most when the Orioles win and who is kind of the biggest goat when uh, the Orioles lose. So the biggest single play in the opening day game was actually Ramon Arias hitting the two-run home run that gave the Orioles a three-to-one lead in the fourth inning of the game. That gave the Orioles uh, it moved the, the win probability 19.4% towards the Orioles. That's a pretty big swing. Uh, short of if you get something like, uh, you know, an eighth-inning three-run go-ahead home run, go, you know come from behind and now you're ahead home run, or you know a walk-off grand slam or something like this. But yeah, you know, most plays aren't going to get above that twenty percent number. So, Arias ended up as collectively the most clutch player. He had a, um, added sixteen point eight percent positive towards the win probability for the Orioles. And Adley Rutschman was second. So no surprise because he led. Well, his, his he had his first plate appearance of the game. He hit a home run to give the Orioles the lead, and then he was also on base every other time. And the worst ended up being Austin Hayes with his 0 for 5. He was a negative 8.9%. So that's our leaderboard after one game. The most clutch in wins is Ramona Rios with one, and the least clutch in wins is Austin Hayes with one. I'm going to be keeping track of this, and we'll see. Uh, I think after each game, each game's uh, each day's game, where I record a podcast, I'll talk a little bit about it and go over the leaderboard. So before I wrap up, unfortunately we have a little bit more to talk about with John Angelos. And I'm tired of talking about John Angelos, but it seems like John Angelos is not tired of talking. So that means that there continues to be things to say about what John Angelos said. And you may have seen this for yourself. John Angelos actually called in 105.7 FM in Baltimore from the stands in Fenway Park while the game was going on, which I think is freaking absurd. It's, it's just so crazy. Like, you know, didn't even wait till the game was over. No, while the game was going on, uh, there was tweets about, oh, John Angelos is on the air. I ended up seeing this transcribed by a Baltimore Sun reporter, Hayes Gardner. Uh, I was not listening myself because I was watching the Orioles game that I had to recap. I don't know what John Angelos was doing while he was on the phone with 105.7. But just as a short refresher, the saga, of course, He got offended at being questioned about the Orioles uh, payroll situation and some things to do with why the Orioles didn't spend or whatever at a press conference. uh, He called for a charity thing on Martin Luther King Day, and he specifically said it was offensive for people to ask him questions like that on Martin Luther King Day. That was pretty stupid. Many people have pointed out and made fun of him for this. He he appeared again in spring training and again promised Orioles reporters before the end of spring training that he would show them some kind of stuff about Orioles team finances. Well, spring training was over, and the Orioles beat writers, to whom that promise was made twice, uh, have been writing articles, including by uh, the one that it seems set off Angelos, was uh, by the Suns' Nathan Ruiz, the Orioles beat writer there. And so Angelos called in, and he once again got huffy, now after being called out, and he got huffy about the Baltimore Sun's ownership, which is of course a crummy hedge fund. And that has really nothing to do at all with the local reporters who Angelos promised to show things to two times, and now has not lived up to that promise. I think it's pretty stupid. I, don't, I just don't understand why he even bothered to make this promise, because if John Angelos never said anything at all, No one would have ever expected him to make any, uh, you know, revelations about the Orioles' financial information to Orioles reporters. Uh, I I don't understand why he ever got in that blunder in the first place. But now he's still going on about it. it, I'm still flabbergasted. I'm sitting here hours after this happened as I record this episode for you. He called another radio station while the Orioles were still playing and being broadcast on three stations in the Baltimore area. What in the world? I, I'm flabbergasted. So hopefully he stops talking. If the recent pattern is, he won't. He's going to continue to be in this cycle of feeling like he has to defend himself and then saying things that seem really stupid. We'll see. Here's a final thought on which I can agree with John Angelos. He he did say, after deflecting and not really uh, giving a satisfactory explanation for why he didn't live up to his promise, he said, and I'm again quoting from Hayes Gardner's transcription of this. I, I did not hear it myself. One of the final thoughts Angelos offered was, quote, we should be measured by how much we drive all our profits back into the product on the field, end quote. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Johnny Angelos. That is one. That is a big way about how you are going to be judged in your tenure as the point person for the Orioles. Um, I personally don't care if there are any more concerts like Billy Joel or Paul McCartney or Bruce Springsteen, mind you. I had fun seeing Billy Joel and Paul McCartney at Camden Yards, but I don't care about ownership's involvement in that. And I would rather see, you know, a winning Orioles team. Uh, I would like to have the Orioles not be 29th in Major League Baseball in payroll. As the website Cots Contract noted, they have a $62 million payroll starting off opening day. Just in the recent past, from 2012 to 2016, the Orioles were in the 10 to 15 range of payrolls. And I feel like they should be able to do that again. And until they do... You know, uh, as I talked about in the last episode of this podcast, I'm going to be waiting around for some kind of big signing or contract extension to where we can feel like the ownership or the front office or whoever is making big commitments in there being a quality Orioles baseball team over a long period of time, or at least as much as is practical, given all the variables that go into making a successful baseball team. And we just, we haven't seen any of it yet. It's it's, it's, you know, the, the Orioles had opportunities to sign higher-priced players this offseason coming off their 83-win season last year. They didn't do it. They haven't done it yet. So, yes, the Orioles should be measured by how they drive their profits back into the product on the field. And right at this moment, it seems like we don't have any evidence that that's been happening. So when it does, maybe people will have nicer things to say about John Angelos Until then... I don't have very much nice to say about John Angelos, but I hope everyone who bought a ticket to that Bruce Springsteen concert in September has a good time. So that's about all I've got to say for today. And I'd like to ask you again if you have any thoughts, please email them to me at camdencastpod at gmail.com. I've really only been soft launching this podcast for the first few episodes, but I think starting with this one, I'm going to be uh, advertising it a bit more outside of Camden Chat Readers. And so whether you are a reader of the site or you're just a podcast listener. Really, if you write to me, I would be happy to share some of your thoughts on the air. You can now subscribe to this podcast and it, I would be very happy if you could do it. You can look for it on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeartRadio, on Amazon, and I believe there's more. There are so many podcast places. You maybe have your own little one. Uh, in, in if, if I didn't list it and you haven't seen CamdenCast on your podcast thing yet, please write into me and let me know, because I'd be happy to add it. I, I certainly want to make sure people can hear what I have to say about the Orioles, and hopefully we will all be entertained. You can find me on Twitter. I'm gonna start using the, the Twitter a little bit more once the podcast gets rolling more to the outside world. It's just at CamdenCast. And uh, I probably won't be interacting as terribly much on there, but you can you can tweet me things to try and say on the air as well. So. Uh, Good Morning Birdland is a Camden cast production on the Fans for Sports Network, and I will see you in the next show, which will be on Monday. So until then, take care and go O's.